You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning for Wednesday, December 27th, episode 3331. While your favorite HRN crew are off enjoying the holidays too, Glenn and Jamie wanted to highlight some of their favorite interviews from this year. For our first interview, we're going to revisit a conversation with Robin Hutton, author of Sergeant Reckless, America's War Horse, who you might have seen at WEC in Ocala or the Kentucky Horse Park. Let's listen. Well, let's uh, get to our guest for today. Now, this is one that we, Wendy and I did in 2015, uh, and it was with Robin Hutton, who is the author of the Sergeant Reckless book. And she was also one of the ones to help get get the statue built that originally, I think it was in Virginia, and now there's one at the World Equestrian Center. You see it as you walk in, and I'll post a picture of it in our show notes as well. So let's take a listen. This is Robin Hutton talking about Sergeant Reckless, and you all should know this story. Well, Wendy, we were heading back from vacation on Saturday. Funny story about this. And we we subscribed to Audible, and we love books on tape. And we said, oh, let's look for a book. And I said, well, there's that Sergeant Reckless book that came out. And I really want to – I was fascinated by that. So we looked it up, and it was on Audible. It's written by Robin Hutton. So we listened to it the whole way home. And it was a great, terrific book. A lot of research done to this book, and I didn't know a lot about the author, and you learn a lot about Robin in this book, and, and what happened uh, what happened before and after the war and the whole thing. It was really a good book. It made the trip home seat go so much quicker. And then I got home, and ironically, I had this email the same day from Angela from Horse Girl TV, our friend Angela. And she mm-hmm. wrote and said, you've got to have this person on your show. She wrote the book, Sergeant Reckless. So Angela was emailing us the same time we were listening to it in the drive. That's so funny. It's fate. I was fate. And I said, well, then I definitely have to have Robin on. So we do. We have Robin with us today. She is the author of this book and an unbelievable advocate for this horse. Robin, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning to the both of you, and I'm sure happy you uh, enjoyed the book. And Angela is just a delight. And uh, I had a lot of fun with her last week when I was back at Camp Lejeune. And uh, so thank you so much. I hear the audio book is wonderful. I have not had a chance to listen to it, actually. Uh, But I hear Susan Boyce does a beautiful job. She does. And, you know, audible books are really dependent upon the person who does the reading. Yes. And you, yes. if you That's have a I'm terrible told. reader, they're not going to like the book. It's just the way oh, it goes. You know, and I. Yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. You write this great book and have an awful reader, it'd be terrible. And, you know, this was a book that really the, the reader was important in the Audible one because it's written with, you wrote it with such emotion. 
And it is an emotional oh, story you. and an emotional book, it and is. she really conveyed that. So you can give her oh, uh, compliments from us. And I've stopped books I before, sure so, uh, you know, good job. But now you, oh, great. I got to congratulate you, and I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. And, you know, we have uh, many members of our family that are in the military. Um, right. My, my co-host, Jamie, who's, who's off today, and Wendy's kind enough to fill in. Her husband is a fighter pilot. So, you know, for you, oh, wow. and my dad was a Marine, and a Marine oh, wow. during the Korean War. So... Uh, this book meant a lot. It hit home for you. Yes, it really did. And I wish he was still alive because I wanted to ask him about the horse. He never <laughs> mentioned it. Now I want to ask him about it. But I know. You, you, uh, you wrote it in such a way that really told the story from the beginning to, the, to, to this horse died and then after to your efforts to have the statue built and everything that went into that, all of your hard work. And thank you for, for doing that hard work and for really... You know, making this horse a place in history where it should be. Oh, well, thank you for that, Glenn. You know, it has been an honor and a privilege to uh, have this horse be such a part of my life over the last nine years. And I just thank God every day for it, I swear. Um, the people that I have met along the way that shared with me their stories and their pictures and everything, it has just been an incredible ride. And no pun intended, but it has just been amazing. <laughs> and, um, you well, know, she is just this incredible little horse. And, you know, she's as real to me as if she'd be grazing in my backyard. Well, Robin, <laughs> if you don't mind, if, if you don't mind, I would love to play the audio from your book trailer. Um, because oh, I think I, it, I think it tells the story better than you and I could in those voices. And oh my! Are the voices we hearing in here? Are they actual Korean veterans? In this, I I don't know because I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> oh, really? From the book trailer? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen. Yeah. All right, let's take a listen. Wonderful. This is the true story of oh, Rex, a small Mongolian mare that became the greatest war hero horse in American history. How great? In the 1990s, Life magazine published a collector's edition of America's 100 Greatest Heroes, included among such colossal giants as Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, was a horse. Believe it or not, Reckless was named as one of America's 100 all-time greatest heroes. Named for the 5th Marine's Recoilless Rifle Company, also known as Reckless Rifles, this five-year-old mare was purchased at a Korean racetrack for $250 to help transport ammunition for the company. The Marines trained her to step over communication lines, get down when there was incoming fire, and to ignore the sounds of battle. During the fight to retake Outpost Vegas in 1953, she made 51 trips on her own to the firing sites. She carried over 9,000 pounds of ammunition and walked over 35 miles through open rice paddies and up steep hills through artillery that was exploding at the rate of 500 rounds per minute. During one of these trips, Reckless shielded four Marines who were moving up to the front line, and she was wounded twice during the battle. But that didn't stop her. After the war, the Marines brought her to Camp Pendleton, where she was fed and maintained by the Marine Corps in lieu of retirement pay, according to official Marine Corps documents. Reckless was promoted twice at Camp Pendleton, first to sergeant, 
and then in 1959 to staff sergeant. Her last promotion ceremony included a 19-gun salute for the Marine Corps Commandant who presided over the ceremony, General Randolph Pate. In her honor, there was also a parade of 1,700 troops from her old outfit, the 5th Marines. She died in May 1968. You know, that uh, that really gives me goosebumps because after listening to the book, you know, and hearing that and hearing those guys talk, it really does give me goosebumps. You, it gives yes, you goosebumps. I mean, I'm crying. <laughs> I know. You do. And I'll tell you who that is. I thought she, I didn't know that you were playing that when you said the trailer for the book. That that voice is Tom Laughlin from the Billy Jack movies. Do you guys remember Billy Jack oh, back yes, in the 70s? Yes, yes, it was the yes. iconic. Yep, that's. That was Tom, who I worked with for 35 years until he passed away in December of 2013. But, yep, he loved this horse and this story, and he, um, I, I made that video back when nobody knew about her, and I was trying to get the world to know about her, and um, he did just a great job on that, and I love that. I love that video. It makes me cry every time I hear <laughs> yeah, it. me too. I actually stumbled across it one time when I was doing some research for the driving radio show, and I said, oh, uh-huh. my God, Glenn, we have to get Robin on. This is incredible. Oh, my God. So yeah. I'm glad we're yeah. finally it's talking great, to you. you know, me too. It's just a great story. You can't beat the story. And to me, it's the greatest horror story mm-hmm. I had ever heard. And actually, I had never heard about, you know, and I'm like, why? How did she vanish from the pages of history? And um, Yeah, because you know, she it's, was it's hugely popular in the 50s. I mean, she was she hugely was. popular. Uh, yeah, as famous as Lassie and Rin Tin Tin back in her day, and yet she, she vanished. Well, you know, too, and I think what struck home to everybody and what struck home to us, because we're all horse people, right, that are listening to this, uh, is we right. can't teach our horses. We, we could not teach our horses to by themselves <laughs> do a round trip that yeah. was a really far long away in fire. And, and yeah. I am sure that the North Koreans and the Chinese had this horse targeted. They wanted this horse dead. Um, well, you know, it's. Yeah, you know, they became her herd. The Marines became her herd. She was the only animal in camp, and so she needed a herd, you know, because that's what horses are, herd animals. And so she would follow them anywhere, and uh, they always took such great care of her, and they loved her, and she loved them. And I like to say she wasn't a horse, she was a Marine, because she became really one of them sleeping in their tents at night and drinking beer with them and eating in the mess tent with the coffee and the eggs and everything. And so it was hard to find um, really where um, the horse uh, stopped and the Marine began because she became so close with them. And so she would follow them anywhere. She knew what what her job was. She was an incredibly smart horse. And she knew what her job was, and she did it loyally and faithfully without ever hesitating. You know, when you get a really good mare, that, that's what, what they are. They yeah. love you, and they want to take care of you, and they're incredible. And in the video, too, you yeah. can see how when she's doing her job, when there's all this fire around, and she's climbing up a mountain yeah. with all this weight on her, her little ears are forward, and she just is chugging along by herself. Yeah. Oh, I know it. Harold Wadley, Sergeant Harold Wadley, who saw her 
during out the battle of outpost vegas her most heroic battle he said that he saw her struggling in the flare light he said there was so much incoming and outgoing firepower they couldn't mark it it was it was just a blur on the screen and he said they would collide mid-air causing these aerial bursts that looked like the fourth of july raining down on the troops and he saw her struggling to get up that hill in that flare light and he said it's an image that has been imprinted on his head and his heart forever he will not forget that and he also says there must have been an angel riding on her back that day for her to make it back uh safely and she was wounded twice she ended up getting two purple hearts but uh, neither one of the wounds put her out of commission and neither one of the wounds made her stop or hesitate in any way to complete her mission. Right. You'd think after she got wounded, she'd be like, I'm not going up that hill again. But she, she, I mean, it's such a great story. You guys go ahead. Yeah, yeah. you can go do this. I don't get paid enough. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. I don't get enough trades. (laughs) Wendy, I'll tell you what, you would, Wendy's a veterinarian, and Wendy Uh would not have approved of her diet (laughs) in camp. I know. No, that's not you true know. because I'm all about I'm all about variety in your diet. Well, she got variety, a lot of beer, alcohol, um eggs, anything humans <laughs> ate, she ate. That's good. See, they're following a Chinese medicine diet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And she also loves cherry pie. There's a wonderful story. I don't want I won't be a spoiler alert when the cook made the cherry pies and, uh, you know, and she, he put them out to cool and he came back and the centers were eaten out of all of them. Oh my God. You know, she just, I know it. I know <laughs> it. It's crazy what this horse she loved, eat. She, and, has, she had good taste too. She loved donuts. That was the other, one yeah, of the well, other things well, she that's loved. That's not on a good Chinese medicine. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Hershey bars, I guess she would eat uh, a little bit of chocolate to also oh, help with her energy. Joe Latham said, so Latham fed her that uh, and everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, they must have been, It must have been so nice for the for the soldiers to have that uh, that horse down there because it kind of added some relief to them from the horribleness of war. You know, you have the, yes. this relationship I, with I an agree. animal. Yeah, I agree. She was also she was like a mascot in that regard. You know, where she. Uh, uh, however, she's, you know, she's the only animal to have an official ranking in any branch of the military. She was officially promoted to those, to those rankings and mm-hmm. everything, uh, even though she served, you know, as, as a mascot in that, in that way of, yeah. you know, helping the men get over what they were, uh, you know, it was, she added a lot of levity. Right. And, uh, and that was just a wonderful thing. Maybe even a little bit of back home, you know. Well, right. you know, it was interesting too, and I found interesting because if anybody knows anything about the military, you, 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 they're not really open to new things. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, and especially from the general on down. And this horse had the support of the generals that were in charge of the war over there. I mean, yeah, it, it was incredible right. the amount of support she had all the way to the top. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true, Glenn. You know, it's really cute when you think about it. Her uh, battlefield promotion in Korea was done um, at the time he wasn't a general, but uh, I think he was a colonel, um, uh, Rand McCall Pate. And he, on April 10th, 1954, promoted her to sergeant in Korea. And they had a big fanfare there. They built a, a stage for her. They, they did it appropriately, as if she was like at Camp Pendleton doing it. 
1959, when he was commandant, he gave her final promotion to staff sergeant. He went out and she, he had a 19-gun salute in his honor, and uh, 1,700 troops uh, paraded in front of her uh, to, uh, uh, to show their respect and admiration for her and, um, everything. It's an amazing story. It is. I don't want to, I don't want to give away the ending either. What happened after she got back here to Camp Pendleton or you guys have to pay attention to the trip that she had from (laughs) there to here, because that's quite a story, but, Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah. That's, that's, I'm not going to spoil anything. Don't spoil it, Robin. Let them listen to that because that was, (laughs) And we can all picture that, that happening, being horse people, right? So, uh, yeah, right. You know, you know. Oh my gosh! But then you took and you have done a massive effort, and you know, put a ton of money out of your own pocket and spent a lot of time trying to get a statue built um, and, yeah. and done. And you did that. You accomplished the goal, and I know it was with a lot of heartache, but. I just have to tell you, it is an unbelievable statue. Jennifer will put it in the show notes and on our Facebook page. It is just incredible. Oh, yes. Uh, Jocelyn Russell out of Friday Harbor, Washington, did a majestic job in capturing Reckless going up to the guns during, uh, it's called an uphill battle. And it's during uh, the Outpost Vegas battle that she was in. And Man, when we had 3,000 people show up for the dedication at the National Museum of the Marine Corps, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General James Amos, who um, actually writes a foreword for my paperback version of my book, which just came out last week, um, uh, does a magnificent job. But people gasped when the monument was unveiled. It was like she was in full motion going up to the guns. And it um, has been just an incredible labor of love and we're now trying to get one place for her at Camp Pendleton, where she lived out her days and is buried. So she's going to be bi-coastal. And then we also, a couple of weeks ago, got the heads up that the South uh, there's a province in South Korea that is building a museum, and uh, they want to place one of the monuments for her there, just south of the DMZ, where she fought. Uh, during Outpost Vegas. And so Reckless will be uh, having a place of honor there as well because the South Koreans are very, very proud of the fact that she was uh, a Korean horse that became such a part of American folklore and, uh, you know, the the, the Marines' um, history. Well, you, I know you put a lot of work into this. There's still a fundraiser going on, too, right? Because I know, I know yes. that you had to borrow the bag and steal to get the money to build this uh, <laughs> and to get it done. I know. <laughs> so. You know, and it was really interesting. You know, it, you know I, I can still remember sitting in the executive director's um, office five weeks out. Uh, of the Marine Corps League. This is the Marine Corps League, their executive director. And he's sitting there, and I'm trying to get a donation because I'm saying, you know, Mike, the Marine Corps League needs to be on the plaque because, like, for $5,000 donation, you get your name on the plaque to be on there forever to be associated with this. And they had just built this monument for Chesty Puller there, and he was still trying to get that paid off. He said, Robin, I can't do it. He says, but tell me, how much do you need? And I said, I need $45,000. And he says, and you have five weeks to do it. And I said, and I have five weeks to do it. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, you've got guts. And I said, Mike, I don't know how it's going to happen. All I know is that I'm going to get that pony to the show and I'm going to make it happen. And sure enough, 
Um, by the grace of God, uh, my mother stepped up and lent me the money, but I had actually was able to pay her back by December 1st because people saw the monument and how beautiful it was, and they wanted to be associated with it. And so now uh, we're doing the same for Camp Pendleton, and uh, yes, we are still raising money for that one, and I'm still waiting for final permission from the Secretary of the Navy's office, which should be forthcoming in the next couple of weeks because it's going to be breathtaking where we have her there. So, uh, but it's, it's a lot of, a lot of heartache and stress and worry, but you know, I just knew it was going to happen. I just knew it was going to happen. You should be a staff sergeant in the Marines after all of this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm a Marine, you know, all of my friends that have, you know, that I've met and gave me, you know, their stories, their family to me now, you know, and, and sadly, they're starting to pass away, and I've lost three of them since I started this this mission nine years ago. Well, and I've made it my mission in life that she's never going to be forgotten again. And so it's it's just been this wonderful, wonderful, joyful now, experience. Now, with the dedication of the statue, I assume that you had uh, several of the Marines that served with her there, too. Oh, yes. I had about a dozen of them. Uh uh, they came with their family members, and uh, some even brought some of their friends to be a part of it. And General Amos went over and shook the hand of all of them, and uh, it was just such a great day. And I, I remember they three, had to have tears, the Robin. They had to be I crying when that. It was crazy. Again, yeah, too. it was. Oh my God, it was just crazy. You know, they had. Um, uh, I was there a couple of days early, you know, to get things set up, and three of the guys came in. Um, early because they wanted to kind of do some sightseeing and, you know, get situated and stuff. So I took them down to the monument to show them the monument, you know, a couple of days beforehand. And, oh, my gosh, my one friend, Johnny Newsom, his eyes, his face was so red. He was trying so hard not to show the tears when we turned this corner and he saw her standing there with in this beautiful uh, pose carrying her ammunition up, and these guys just couldn't keep it together. They all just cried these tears of joy, and you could see how proud they all were. All of the guys that were there were so proud to be there and to be a part of this wonderful piece of history. Well, I, I just appreciate. I'm sure they all appreciate your efforts too. You got me crying now. So, <laughs> no, you know what else I love about this story? We don't have a lot of stories that touch your heart like this about horses that don't end in complete yeah. disaster. And this has a really happy ending. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's, and thank goodness, you know, like so many people said, am I going to cry? And I said, well, yeah, you, you will because it's, you know, <laughs> people, you know, it's war and you know, everything, but she does, she does survive the war. So I'll tell you that. Sergeant Reckless, it's sgtreckless.com. Sergeantreckless.com is where you can find it. If, if you want to contribute and help out with the fundraiser, information's on there. If you want to buy the book, you can uh, find links to it on there as well. I'm so happy we, we had a chance to have you on. And thank you. Oh, I'm blessed. Thank, thank you, you again to Angela from Horse Girl TV. She's been friends of ours for, since, we ever, since we started the Horse Radio Network. So. Oh, she is awesome. And now we highlight an interview where Jamie and Glenn were joined by Max Corcoran to discuss Jimmy Wofford. Well, hi, Max. Welcome to the show. Thank you again for coming back. Anytime I ask you, you're here. I appreciate it. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Glenn. You know, I love I love horses in the morning. It's fantastic. So any any chance I get to talk to you is better. Well, t- it's a sad occasion today, and I know you yeah. knew Jimmy pretty well. So kind of give us. I'm just going to let you talk. Tell us about Jimmy, your experiences with him, and your what you want the world to know. Oh my goodness. Oh well, I am a, a very lucky person to have got to know Jimmy and to have been around him. And I think there's a lot of people that will say exactly the same thing. I say is that it's just he was a he's a a gift to the horse community, a gift to me, a gift to a lot of people. He was a, a true gentleman. He was um, had a really amazing balance of the old school and the new school. What I would say he. Um, he was constantly involved, no matter if it was watching or teaching or writing or having new thoughts. Um, he kept himself very current with the new sport, as I would call it, you know, from the long format to the short format and just how the sport continued to evolve. He was, he just was always there to, I don't know, lend a hand, to give advice, to be the sounding board to I don't know I just was fantastic and for me I got to know him when I was working for Karen O'Connor as Karen was a student of his and so you know Karen said oh I, you know do you know do, do you know Jimmy Wofford I said I don't know him but I know who he is <laughs> so I was always very um you know in the beginning right I very first started working for them I was gobsmacked and in awe when he would come around and he would always have a minute to chat with me, always have a minute to ask about the horses, um, you know, and, and he was so willing to, you know, give advice or just say, you know, oh, your horses look very nice today or whatever it was. And, you know, God, Jimmy Wofford said, my horse look good. You know, it's like, I'm going <laughs> to sleep good tonight. And, and then throughout the years, as I got to know him better, um, and again, I, you know, I didn't know him as well as others, but God, I just still find myself so lucky to to have known him as much as I did. Um, you know, his advice, his um, his support, especially when I became USCA president, his support was was unbelievable. And he would be the first person I would call when something big was happening, and I, you know, send him a message or an email and say, "Jimmy, you got a minute to talk? Oh wait, you don't have to ask me. I, of course, just call me up." But I know he was so busy, but, you know, he was always, every time I saw him, there was a, you know, hello, sir. He said, oh, you, oh, don't call me, sir. A little tip of his hat and always a quick hello and always stop for a minute to make time for everybody. And I just, um, there's a lot of that chivalry and kindness that we don't see so much anymore. And um, I will, I will miss that so much. I will miss seeing him everywhere. I'll miss our phone calls. I'll miss a lot of things it's um it's a huge loss for for the for humanity and for the horse world i'd say so how important was he to the organizations you just got done being president Ugh. of the usea right and yeah you yes know, his whole family was important to the united states eventing association absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean they were between the AH, ahsa and the usea and the uset and all the things in between he was um, the Wofford family just sort of, you know, it's sort of synonymous with all those, all that um, governance and stuff. So that's what I'm saying. Like he was so involved with not only just, you know, boots on the ground, but the governance part of it too. They were so integral. And, and I think may, that's maybe why he was for me so um, important because he 
for, you know, he and I both saw, saw the world both that same way. We saw, you know, he, he know, he knows the horses on the ground, but he also understands the governance side and, and that there's a very tricky balance between the two. And, um, and he could see that, um, he saw the big picture with the little picture. He could see the, you know, he obviously loved high performance. He loved the, the team stuff, but he also loved the grassroots side of it too. He loved watching people learn. He loved watching horses develop. He, you know, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on, and on but he just, um, yeah, just, you know, part of the association, part of what he did for, for them and continued. I mean, there he was even, you know, being the keynote or the, the MC for the, for the awards and for the hall of fame. And, um, he was always present and it's, yeah, it's going to be a massive void. Yeah. I I think of his legacy, Max, I always said, and I said this before you came on that I considered him the eventing Jesus, right. And his book training, (laughs) training the three day event horse and rider is the Bible. Okay, so yes, you've got those two yeah. things. Talk a little bit about the legacy. I mean, he was so prolific in writing and all the books that he's written. You just go on to Google and type in Jimmy Wofford book, and there's a long list of them. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah. he just recently, his most recent one was like, still horse crazy after all these years. Exactly. So talk a little bit about exactly. the legacy of of Jimmy <sighs> and his, his penmanship. It was just incredible. Well, I, you know, there's there are very few people that are that are gifted to to write, and and Jimmy for sure had that gift, and um, he he has he had he has an, had an incredible passion for history and for uh, for that too, and so I think that there's a lot of um, I think he wanted people to never forget the history of you know where things came from, um, and I think that was a some of his motivation for writing these books. Um, he's a brilliant author, brilliant author. And his books are, you know, again, the, you know, his, everything, like you said, from telling the stories of how we got here to, um, telling people how to prepare your horses for the three day events to, you know, everything in between, they're just, they're fun in, you know, inviting books that are educational and fun at this, you know, and, and, nice to read at the same time, which doesn't really happen. And some of those books you hear like, you know, the how to books are like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, you know, his history, his knowledge is just, and the fact that he was willing to give it back to us. I mean, there's a lot of that have been doing it for decades and decades and decades that don't have the, have the, I don't know if it's the energy or the foresight to give it back. To, yeah. to everybody else. You know, he it's it's his gift. That was his gift to all of us were his, his writing, too, I think. A lot of times when you read a book or uh, about horse training or horses, I feel like so many times things have evolved past when the author wrote it. You know, like sometimes you read Correct. something from the 80s yes. or the yep. 90s or yep. early 2000s. Yes, exactly. You're like, this is yes. so old. His so books are... Yes. Yeah, his books yeah. are timeless. 101 eventing Absolutely. tips. I was reading and I was like, yeah. this is... Um, these are amazing tips. Like, yeah. Yeah. just a modern gymnastics. Like, research and Yeah, exactly. There's research and stuff that comes along that says, you know, throws things out of the water. But at the same time, what he's written is just 
you know, like, oh, right. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm exactly. Looking, Max, I was looking at uh, your your Facebook feed must just have thousands of posts. I mean, <laughs> I mean, mine has hundreds. And, you know, there was a quote and this is a long time ago. I don't know where this quote came from with one of his books or whatever, but I, I've known it forever. And this, he was talking about his horses that he's ridden over his career. And you know this quote. He said, the worst of them sense our fear and take advantage of us. The best of them sense our dreams and take us there. Yes, yes. I yes. mean, that quote gives you goosebumps. Yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Because you've been mm-hmm. with those horses that were people's dreams. Oh yeah. yeah. Lucky, lucky for me, I have, I mean, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I've been there for the, for the, you know, we've been there for the very, very highs and the very, very lows, but he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, he, you know, nothing would get him giggly more than seeing a, a very special horse be paired with a very special rider. And he would, you know, Ooh, look at that. Ooh, look at this, you know, and he <laughs> would, it would make him happy. And, and that's, you know, and, you know, and there's there's so many obviously such depth of of Jimmy with his love of fishing and his love of sports and his love of everything else. But he just, um, when he would see that, it it I, I guess it just you know it it's what kept him going. Do you he know? was a I, huge I think football it, fan, right? Yeah. Oh, he he just loved sports in general. He was a sportsman, um, and but yeah, he he loved all sport. But you know, he he did a lot of fly fishing, tons and tons of fly fishing, and that was his other other massive passion was that but he um yeah he just he loved sport he loved to be you know he was always reading and knowing the latest on all the things you know he just never could keep up with them <laughs> it's like where do you find how many hours in the day have you been teaching for 15 hours and then you did you see that documentary on the you know world war Two? blah 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 and you know he just it was incredible um and you know and and the amount of lives that people that he's changed. I mean, he has changed so many good friends of mine, um, you know, but Sharon White and Sarah Cosenplick and people, they just, they just could go on and on about what their life would have been like without him. And they don't even want to know it. And his mentors, he mentored so many people and um, kept motivating so many people. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, I don't, I could, He's just, it's a bit those, overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. He's one of those guys that nobody had anything bad to say about, you know. It's just yeah. it's just one of those incredible humans that we were all yeah. blessed to yeah. have grace us in this world. And Max, yeah. as always, thank you for coming on and, and sharing oh, with you. us. We know you're uh driving to Kentucky, so yeah. be safe on the roads and uh thank know you. that we appreciate you coming in and sharing thank you and some of your stories thank you for thank you for celebrating him it's he needs to be over celebrated i believe <laughs> thanks, thanks absolutely Max. appreciate it all right, all right talk to you guys care. later And finally, we have a wild story featuring our favorite guys, Glenn and Scooter. So we were over the weekend camping at Gothi Forest, which is 54,000 acres. I talked about it on Friday. And so this campground is right across the street from the trailhead that leads into like hundreds of miles of trails. And they're mostly sand and, uh, you know, they're just wide enough for my cart to fit through in the woods. And there's also some uh, some fire breaks that are actual road, you know, 
kind of roads for the trucks and the rangers to get through and stuff. So it's kind of nice for driving because you have you can go into the woods or you can go on the on the road parts that are more cleared off. And we ended up doing a little bit of both. We took them for a walk in the woods the first day. And then on Friday, we, we Jennifer rides uh, for new listeners. I drive my little hackney pony in a two-wheel cart. And then Jennifer rides uh, Nigel and seems to be about 10 feet taller than me because Nigel's like 16'2 thoroughbred. So we head out and we had a lovely ride. It was beautiful on Friday. After the show, we did it. Uh, we went out. It was a little hot. It was almost 90, actually, all weekend. But so we head out and we go through the woods and we went three or four miles through the woods and then back. And it was great. I mean, it was fun. We had a good time. So the next morning, Saturday morning, I said, let's get up a little earlier when it's cooler. We're going to go out when it's a little cooler and not so hot. And it got to over 90 that day. Now, I, I, I would love to insert questions here, but I feel like this is a story that you need to tell. So I'm just going to sit back yeah, and let you tell. you can ask after. <laughs> okay. So that morning, uh, we decided we're going to take the road path down and we're going to cut into the woods where it cuts in and we're going to take the narrow woods path back. So that because it's it's a little sandy and Scooter has to pull harder when we get into the deeper sand and he really does have to work to get the cart through the sand in places. So we take the the hard pack road down and it's about a mile a little over a mile down to where it cuts into the woods. Well, off in the distance, and it is hunting season, we saw the big hunting signs, off in the distance we see a couple of orange vests walking toward us. And way off in the distance, well, it takes a while, a mile later, we see them, and it's not hunters. It is just a couple of walkers, who I assume were from the campground, with their dog. What kind was it, Jennifer? A Malinois, which looks oh. like a lot like a German Shepherd, right? Yeah, they're like German Shepherds, like on steroids. So they're walking towards us, and Jennifer said, "Well, the cut off into the woods is right before them, so we'll we'll just cut off into the woods." And I said, "I want to go first because I'd been sucking sand dust the entire time the day before, and with asthma, that's not great." So I said, "Let Scooter and I go ahead of you this time into the narrow trail in the woods." So we get in there, uh, turn in, and it's not too far. It's just a little spur where you make a left or a right. We can go on a further drive or we can head back home. We decided to go on the further drive. I make the left. Now, the hikers are hiking on the road right, pretty much right beside us. I make the left to go into the trail and Scooter stops dead in his tracks. And right there in front of us, any guesses? There were a lot of guesses. I, I was thinking alligator. I mean, it's Florida. Mm. Nope. It's a rare thing to see a black panther in Florida. Oh, my Florida. gosh. A he black panther? 10 feet in front of us. We scared him or her. I'm not sure which. We scared him or her because they were stalking the hikers, the walkers with the Get dog. out. That's the direction that the cat was facing was there. So when we came around this little corner... I never saw the face real clear because <laughs> the cat jumped. Scooter stopped dead. Uh, and, of course, my heart went through my chest because we're 10 feet away from 
a very large cat. By the way, this is the blackest animal I've ever seen. The blackest, shiniest animal I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's just black beyond black. I've never seen a dog that color. Uh, you know, maybe a horse, but th- th- not something that small. It was just black. And, uh, of course, we startled it probably as much as it startled us, which surprises me because they're usually, you never see black panthers. They're around. Apparently, there's more than they admit. Uh, and so <laughs> it takes off into the woods, and Jennifer sees what's happening, sees the t- black back end heading into the woods, and takes Nigel around scooter to in front of us to in front of us and and Nigel stopped dead he would not move his every muscle in his body was tense and I, I said to Jennifer look you know this could go south pretty quick if that if that thing hasn't left and is just watching us right now or stalking us right now and I think that's what was happening it had just stopped in the woods it was pretty thick woods uh, and Nigel was not budging and Nigel has a keen sense of anything going on in the woods around him and I said let's get turned around which was not easy because the path is narrow so I managed to get Scooter and the cart turned around 47 point turn yeah pretty much <laughs> and I said we're heading back now because I'm not going deeper in those woods right now and neither were the horses they were not heading that direction um but I was impressed by a couple things one Scooter didn't turn and bolt into the woods and kill us both he just stopped and got what I call all hackney he got all hackney he was totally on alert every muscle in his body was tense and he was on alert but he didn't back down and i kind of think that it might have gone bad had the cat come towards us scooter has a habit if something goes into his field like a dog of chasing it down and trying to stomp it to death he does he's very protective like a like a donkey is in this field now there's food out there i don't know what he would have done out in the wide open but it probably wouldn't have been good no matter what happened um so we turn her head around and Jennifer's like, I'll get behind you. I'm bigger. He's less likely to want to come after. I said, well, he's probably not going to want to come after something with a cart behind it either. You're trying to like figure out the best way not to die. That's yes. So, so, That's so weird. So we start walking back the trail and Jennifer's keeping an eye uh, over her shoulder. Nigel did not come down from his adrenaline high for what, about 15 minutes? He was tense for about 15 minutes, and then he finally relaxed. So we're not sure if the thing was just keeping up with us, make sure we were leaving, or what was going on. Uh, But that was a rare—then, another bizarre thing. (laughs) Welcome to Florida. We come out of the—into the trailhead, and there's this guy sitting over in one of the pavilions at the trailhead. We have very nice trailheads. And there's something on his arm, and I thought it was a cat at first. We get a little bit closer, and he says, oh, don't come any closer. My owl doesn't like horses. He's sitting there with this huge owl on his arm. And why wouldn't he be? I mean, where else are you going to sit with <laughs> your owl? He comes there every day with his owl, we found out. Uh, and we told him what was going on. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, there's there's Black Panthers here more than they admit, because apparently he said, I don't know if this is true. He said, if they really admit how many Black Panthers are here, the government will stop funding some of the some of the forests. I don't know why they would do that. Maybe because natural habitat. I don't know. Maybe species. safety of people that are walking <laughs> around in the woods. But I feel like they should be let known. You may actually come 10 feet from a. So when you you're 10 feet from it, is it is it big? Was it like well, Bob? Take, size or was like tiger take size. that large dog that they had, you know, which was probably a little bigger than a German Shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a little taller than that, but thick, just thick. Everything is thick. I mean, not to be whatever, but like if if uh, it was between a Black Panther and a Belgian Malinois, 
be a close fight. It would. Yeah. <laughs> we figured he probably wasn't looking at attacking them, uh, but he was making sure they left the area. You know, he was just making sure his territory was guarded. That's the only mm-hmm. reason we could sneak up on a Black Panther, because the cart makes all kinds of noise. You know, it's not like the horses are quiet. Uh, but yeah, we definitely scared that thing. Scared us too. My, I looked at, I had my watch on. I had my smartwatch on, and my pulse was 125 immediately after that. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> no, it's interesting, the thoroughbred thing. I was just talking about this because I was riding um, one of the thoroughbreds yesterday, and something got him. We were so windy, and we had, like, a, you know, severe thunderstorms and hail on the way. But I was like, I got to finish riding. And uh, he spooked. And, and there's something that happens with the thoroughbred. And I think it's because their bodies are designed to have a burst of adrenaline, right? But it it just seems like once a thoroughbred gets like like your horse did, you know, like Nigel did, it, it's like you might as well just put him back in the barn and come back in a half an hour because their adrenaline. I think they're they're probably physically have adrenaline burst for longer because they need that adrenaline longer. So it's harder to bring them down as opposed to like <gasps> okay. Adrenaline burst. Yeah, you're right, because he was pumped up much longer than the pony was. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's like a function of design. Like, they're supposed to have a long adrenaline burst so they can run the entire race, you know, kind of thing. I I mean, that's not scientific. It's just what I've noticed about thoroughbreds that are a little bit different. And I think that's why they're so challenging for so many people, because you just you have to understand, like, you know what? It's going to take a minute because when I rode that horse yesterday with a bicyclist and the wind and the hail was coming and he just lost it. And I was like, you know what, buddy? I'm just going to put you back. Yeah, that, that was there, way sensory overload. <laughs> there's just no amount of riding this, riding through this. It's going to get any better until you let that adrenaline leave the body. And like your horse, he didn't have a choice. No. He go back to the barn. So you might as well just figure it out, buddy. You got about two more miles to go. Yeah, we're not going to hang around in the woods with the uh, Black Panther and wait it out. Yeah. So, you know, it was interesting because we did talk to a couple of the people that were at the at the campground. Oh, by the way, that was interesting, too, which I will not go into. Um, but, they, you know, they had heard stories, but nobody's ever seen one. And I, the only reason we saw it, I got to say, you've been through my challenges with Scooter in the past with him bolting and, you know, especially in the woods. That's been his you problem. You know what is with, with Scooter is he's afraid of leaves, but he's not afraid of a Black Panther. What is wrong with I don't that know. Pony? I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, this could have gone way wrong. He could have t- tried to turn and bolt, and we were really tight in the woods. If he'd have went in the woods, I'd have just, the cart would have got hung up on a tree, and we'd have been in big trouble. Bye, uh, Dad! <laughs> Bye! It would have been bad. I mean, but he didn't. He didn't. I was so impressed with him. At maturity, you know what? You can do all the training and everything you want in the world, but maturity does a lot for a horse, too. You know, he, they're both just much more mature than they were. You know, they're both 12, what, 14 years old now, and that maturity says a lot. It says a lot in people and horses, you know, or dogs or whatever. You know, what's but... that like? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We were very proud of our ponies over the weekend. And uh, well, no, I did not get my camera out and take a picture. It all happened pretty fast. And I had a couple of reins in my hand that I was, was expecting to go tight at any didn't moment. Didn't happen <laughs> if there's not pegs. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I know. Well, you can talk to Scooter about it. He'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for joining us for today's highlight of Glenn and Jamie's favorite interviews. We know New Year's right around the corner, so stay safe and stay warm, friends.